Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Veteran news anchor Ron Burgundy returns with the Ron Burgundy podcast to take on the most pressing and exciting topics of our day. Get the truth about the stories that affect your life as only Ron Burgundy can deliver it. I've heard it said, perhaps by me, that you can earn a degree listening to my podcast. That's what I heard from my source. My source, that is, perchance, myself. Listen to the Ron Burgundy Podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll help you figure it out. It's kind of what we do. KFI AM640 Los Angeles, Orange County. And KOST HD2. It's 5 a.m. What did you miss? It's time for Wake Up Call with Jennifer Jones-Lee. you get prettier as time goes on. It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Here's what's just ahead on your wake-up call. Many people who lived in that luxury condo building near Miami that partially collapsed say they're just lucky to be alive. I'll get you an update on that story. Also, we're waiting for a news conference out of Surfside, Florida this morning. And uh, there's a little bit of a discrepancy. You've got all these different news agencies reporting still at least one person dead, up to as many as three people dead being reported. So I want to get it right from the source. So uh, if we can dip into this news conference a little bit later this morning, we will. Ex-Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is set to be sentenced this morning for the murder of George Floyd. Should happen around 1130 this morning, our time. And several people have been hurt in two separate shootings in the Hollywood Hills area. And we understand now that one person was killed. 505, we'll talk with ABC's Karen Travers. So they have a deal-ish. I guess you could just say it's not really a done deal. The president announced kind of a, a, it was a, a partisan framework for a $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan, bipartisan, I should say. Um, but that's just part of his infrastructure plan, just a piece of it. And he said there are other parts that will go in tandem. So we'll talk about kind of what has happened and then what we're facing going forward with Karen in just a few minutes. But let's start with some of these stories coming out of the KFI 24-hour newsroom. Officials say about 100 people who were trapped in a partially collapsed condo tower in South Florida are still missing. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine Cava says emergency crews have been working through the night to find survivors in the rubble. I can assure you that these fire rescue personnel, the best in the world, the ones that are called upon to uh, come out in crises everywhere, are working as hard as could possibly be. 
The 12-story building collapsed early yesterday morning. Dozens of people have been rescued. At least one person is dead, but that number is expected to go up. And again, I'll take you live to that news conference as soon as it begins in Surfside, Florida. Ex-Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is sentenced to be is expected to be sentenced this morning for the murder of George Floyd. Now, Chauvin was found guilty of murder and manslaughter charges in April, but because of state guidelines, he'll only be sentenced for the second-degree murder charge, which is the most serious. Prosecutors are asking for 30 years behind bars. Chauvin's attorney says he'll ask that he be released on time served and on probation. ABC's Alex Perez says the recommended sentence is up to 15 years, but the judge may opt for more time because Chauvin was in a position of authority and Floyd was killed in front of kids. At least one person has been shot and killed and several others have been hurt in two separate shootings in the Hollywood Hills area. The LAPD says in one case, people were shot at a house party last night. The cops say there was another shooting a bit later in Beverly Hills where a guy was seen with a gun. They say they're trying to figure out if the two are connected. A man's been arrested for allegedly breaching security at a FedEx cargo area at LAX. Police say a car with SOS written on the hood drove through a fence and onto the airfield about 6 o'clock last night. The driver led airport police on a short chase before being arrested. Officials said the investigation forced some runways to be shut down, but operations were able to get back to normal without many delays. The Westminster City Council has rescinded a policy that allowed three members to reject proposals that they just didn't like. It caused an uproar on both sides. Councilman Tado says the reversal ends a policy that let the council majority reject an item before it's even discussed. It limited the control of the majority on the city council in terms of uh, suppressing opposition. He says at one point, the policy had the entire council facing recall and the city's majority Vietnamese immigrant community claiming it was a return to communist oppression. But now... I, I think it's good. I think it's, uh, this, is a, this is a time for change. This week, a new majority reversed the policy 3-2 to two in Westminster. Corbin Carson, KFI News. And now, my favorite story of the morning. That cow... The cow was not going quietly that we talked about yesterday that was found in a park in South Almani. Well, that cow who escaped from a slaughterhouse in Pico Rivera has turned out to be... I hate you for this lead, Chris Carlo. if you're listening. The cow has turned out to be an utter survivor. Frankly, I'd have to say I was a little bit uh, sad to hear that the cows escaped and were running through the street. 40 of them, but one outwitted and outlasted the rest. And uh, for this final cow, we'll have ultimately be able to live out the rest of its life at a sanctuary, and I think that is a, a nice end. City Councilman Eric Lutz says songwriter Diane Warren stepped up yesterday to help move the cow to farm sanctuary in Acton. Meanwhile, City Manager Steve Carmona is assessing damage from Tuesday night. Broken fences, damaged cars, uh, broken mailboxes. In Pico Rivera, Chris Ancarlo, KFI News. And who pays for that now that's what i want to know anyway diane warren good for you and to that cow as one headline put it you have ended a moving saga i know i'll stop so karen travers there's a deal but could you say it's not a done deal when it comes to infrastructure 
Yeah, I mean, nothing's ever a done deal until the votes are cast and the bill is signed into law. But yesterday, the president was uh, praising the fact that they were actually able to get something done uh, with Republicans and Democrats working together. And he says this proves that there can be bipartisanship in Washington. You know, it was a quite a scramble yesterday. We were expecting senators to come out and talk to the cameras at the White House. And the president walked out with them. That doesn't happen. We knew the president was going to speak later in the day, uh, but he wanted to be there to make that point that he was standing with Republican senators announcing this agreement. Now, he said that nobody got everything they wanted. He made it very clear there was a lot left on the table that he would like to see included in this first part of infrastructure. But he said that's how it works. That's compromise. So right now it's a $1.2 trillion proposal uh, that includes about $580 billion in new spending that will go to fixing roads and bridges, installing broadband in rural communities, and a massive investment in the country's rail system. Here's where it gets a little complicated. Now, sorry, this is going to be a little wonky Washington stuff, but I'm going to try and do it clearly. This is part one. And remember, the president announced this as part one. But part two of infrastructure, what he really wants is human infrastructure, funding for early childhood education, funding for community colleges, child care for parents. That is likely to only go through with Democratic support. So what they're doing now is part one, roads, bridges. That has that bipartisan agreement. Instead of just saying, let's plow through and pass that so I can sign that into law and then we'll turn our attention to the next part. The president is hearing a lot from progressives in the Democratic Party. Like they're really grumbling because they want that second part and they want a big investment in climate change uh, measures and things like that. The president said yesterday he's only going to sign part one when part two comes along with it. He's tied them together. So good news for progressives who are concerned about part two getting left on the cutting room floor. But this might mean you lose some of the Republicans who don't like the massive price tag for part two. So we'll see. The president yesterday kind of, you know, a little bit uh, bravado there told reporters that he knows Congress better than all of us, which is true, I'm sure. He's been in the Senate at that point for 36 years. But this is going to be quite a difficult challenge to get all of this done at the same time. All right, Karen, thank you for explaining that. You made it unwonky. I appreciate it. You unwonked it. (laughs) Have a great weekend. Have a great day. Thanks. See you later. ABC's Karen Travers. So that's that in tandem part that I was talking about and why I'm saying that this is a deal, but it's not a done deal. And you're going to have some people who criticize and say, oh, my God, but wait, you got a bipartisan deal. Why wouldn't you at least sign off on the thing that you could get both sides to agree on? But Within his own party, I I think that, at least for the Democratic Party, this is going to be kind of a a challenge that it has going forward because you have these progressives who have quite, um, quite a different plan for what the future of our country should look like as opposed to some of your more mainstream Democrats would have, your more middle of the road Democrats. And in the progressive portion of the Democrats are very vocal and they are very, you know, they're digging their heels in. And so um, and I, I mean, like the, the AOCs of the Democratic Party. So he's he, though, also while he's trying to get bipartisan support in a way, I almost think that you could look at the Democratic Party and the division within it as needing bipartisan support as well. So it's not just bipartisan support between the Republicans and the Democrats, but you got to get both sides of the Democratic Party on the same page. 
And I know that's that sounds so counterintuitive because they're all Democrats, right? But they all have they are on such opposite in many ways, opposite sides of the democratic spectrum to get them to come together is what I think is going to be a really, really fine line that the president's going to have to walk within his own party. All right, let's get back to some of these stories coming out of the KFI 24-hour newsroom. The California Transportation Commission has set aside $1.2 billion for transportation projects across the state. The money will be used to fix and improve roads and bridges and to provide more options for transit, rail, walking, and biking. The commission says it will also support thousands of jobs. L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer says she's not overly concerned at the moment about a surge in COVID-19 cases in the county. She says case rates and test positivity rates are low, but Ferrer says she wants to make sure any pockets of the increases are dealt with early on to stop the spread of the virus. Just checking. I'm glancing over. It looks like that news conference coming out of Surfside, Florida should be happening very shortly. President Biden's pushing for more people to get vaccinated against COVID-19. He visited North Carolina yesterday as part of a nationwide tour to encourage people to get the shots. If you're not vaccinated, don't put it off any longer. Just do it. Just do it. The Biden administration has acknowledged that it will fall short of its goal of partially vaccinating 70 percent of American adults by Independence Day. Vice President Harris says she's working on lowering the number of undocumented immigrants who cross the southern border. ABC's Andy Field says she's due to go to the border today in Texas. Vice President Harris will tour the El Paso Customs and Border Patrol Processing Center, meet with immigration advocates, and survey how they're dealing with the migrant surge at the border. Harris says she's been working with Central American countries to try and stop undocumented immigrants from even making the trip. The LAPD is investigating the death of a homeless guy who climbed up a radio tower at Hollenbeck Community Park. Let me take it live now to Surfside, Florida. Here's the mayor. It's been a tragic night. We do have 120 people now accounted for, which is very, very good news. Uh, but our unaccounted for number has gone up to 159. In addition, we can tragically report the death count is now four. I want to be very clear about the numbers. Uh, they're very fluid. Uh, we'll continue to update you as, as we have them, but we have confirmed four deaths. The search and rescue team worked throughout the night, and uh, it was a very active scene from above and below. And uh, we also brought heavy machinery onto the site to assist with the operation. And so we are very, very grateful that our president has now authorized FEMA support. And we're joined here today by our FEMA representative who can tell you more. Uh, and, uh, and that is going to assist us in our recovery efforts as well to assist the, the families. We have the resources for the families at the Family Reunification Center. We've been actively uh, providing them everything that they need food, shelter, uh, cash to assist with uh, the, their basic needs, and grief counseling. Obviously a very critical component as we move forward, as people are anxiously waiting for news of their loved ones. Uh, at this time, we have received uh, all of the uh, donations of goods and uh, volunteers that we can handle at this time. 
Uh, we're very, very grateful for everyone who has contributed, and we will let people know as the need uh, presents. Uh, but we do have two funding sites available for cash donations. Support Surfside.org and Chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, two sites that are receiving donations. So as we work tirelessly and stand united, local, municipal, county, state, and now federal support, uh, we are going to uh, work as hard as we can to continue our search and rescue effort. That is our priority. That is where we're focused and protecting our first responders who are on the scene. So thank you, everyone. God bless. Y ahora, en español, puedo decir que... All right, so that has been the mayor of Miami-Dade County, Florida, Daniela Levine-Cava. And that's an update on now the 12-story condo complex that partially collapsed yesterday. And an update on the numbers for you. So now we do have four confirmed killed in that tragedy and 159 now unaccounted for. I was watching earlier um, on CNN and it was a dad and his two sons. And... um, you know, all adult men, and knowing that the wife and the mother was one of those 159 unaccounted for. Can you imagine? I can't. I can't imagine what that is like. And there are reports that there are sounds coming out from underneath the rubble, which is wonderful. That has to make you think that there are survivors in there. And we talked yesterday about those pockets. Sometimes people get trapped in these pockets where, you know, everything collapses around them, but they have a small area where they can survive something like this. But the search and rescue crews say it will take them so long to get to those people because they've got to get to them. So even if those sounds are are there, getting to those sounds oftentimes is just a a tireless job for them. And um, that's where your hopes and prayers just come in, that they're able to get to those people in time, if, in fact, those sounds are coming from people who are survivors of this. So, um, again, just uh, one more time, 159 now unaccounted for in the condo collapse in Surfside, Florida, and four now confirmed dead. All right, when we come back, we are going to talk with uh, ABC's Mark Remillard. Today is sentencing day for former Minneapolis police officer uh, Derek Chauvin in the death of George Floyd. We'll talk about how many years in prison he could get. Um, There's a low end and a high end, and there are some circumstances that might make the high end more probable. We'll talk with Mark in just a few minutes. As long as I got my suit and tie, I won't leave it all on the floor tonight. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to a Friday morning. I'm Jennifer Jones-Lee. And some of the stories we're watching in the KFI 24-hour newsroom. We just heard that news conference out of Surfside, Florida, where officials are now saying that four people were killed in the collapse of that luxury condo building yesterday. 159 people are still unaccounted for. And ex-Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is set to be sentenced this morning. And I want to go into what he could be facing as far as a sentence is concerned. So let's get right to ABC's Mark Remillard. Hey, Mark, good morning. I hear you in the background. Hello. Hi, Mark. Good morning. So what could Derek Chauvin face today when he's sentenced? Yeah, so he faces a wide range of possibilities here. Uh, the sentencing guidelines for the, for the, the, the state is 
roughly 10 to 15 years. Now, the prosecution has asked for 30 years. The maximum is 40, and not even the prosecution is asking that, so that doesn't seem very likely that it gets the maximum. But the prosecution is asking for 30 years, uh, and they say the reason they're asking for that is that there are aggravating factors that uh, warrant a tougher sentence, including that Chauvin abused his position of authority as a police officer, that he treated George Floyd with particular cruelty. There were kids present at the time of the, the crime. So these are some of the factors, and the judge in a filing agreed with a number of those and and so that would seem to indicate he's thinking upward departure from the state guidelines now the defense has asked for a pretty lenient sentence of time served and probation uh, that seems again given the fact that the judge is already agreeing with the prosecution on aggravating factors that also seems pretty unlikely but uh, perhaps the answer lies somewhere between that time served and 30-year sentence in the middle there that the judge has to make a decision on. Will Derek Chauvin or, say, George Floyd's family, either of them be able to speak today at the sentencing before it comes down? Yes. So the way this is going to run, uh, 2.30 Eastern time is when the hearing starts, uh, and the state's going to go first. They're going to make their case about why he deserves a tougher sentence and, and perhaps that 30-year number uh, that they're aiming for. Then we'll hear the victim impact statements, and that is expected to include several members of the Floyd family addressing the court. Uh, then the defense will have its opportunity to ask for leniency and why he doesn't deserve a tougher sentence. You'll likely hear them say that he's a uh, he has no criminal history, for example, that he, according to the defense, is a low risk for reoffending, um, things like that. Then finally, Chauvin will have a chance to address the court uh, if he wants to maybe to apologize, maybe to ask for a lighter sentence. You know, he could say whatever he wants. Uh it's not clear, though, what he might say. Not clear if he's going to make that decision to address the court. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect to hear him apologize because he's got an appeal he wants to go through, it seems. And he's also uh, his attorney's already asked for a new trial. So I don't know that we'll see him express a whole lot of remorse or anything like that because he's got those other challenges ongoing. But, you know, he's going to take that opportunity if he wants it. Well, yeah. And I would think that'd be a really tough line for him to walk, because on one hand, how, how do you apologize for a death that you say you didn't cause? I mean, that's right. difficult. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we've seen this in other trials where, uh, you know, it's a tough Exactly. A tough line to walk where you go out there and you try to uh, appeal for leniency, but at the same time not, you know, admit any wrongdoing. That's yeah. really hard to do. Yeah. And I think often we see courts not really, uh, you know, pay a lot of mind to that or, or really give into that that weight and say, well, if you're not here to express, you know, wrongdoing for what you've been convicted of, then why should I be lenient? So, again, it's a fine line to walk, and he may not even walk it. He might not even take that opportunity to say anything. And so uh, that remains to be seen, but uh, this will play out this afternoon. What is security like, say, around the courthouse or I know even across the country, you've got heightened alert, at least for big police departments based on what this sentencing might bring? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I'm not on the ground in Minneapolis right now to be able to, I wish I could compare for you what it looks like uh, compared to the trial, because the trial was so much security. They had oh, fencing yeah. around the whole court and uh, National Guard members on the other side of that fencing um, guarding the courthouse. There were boarded up buildings, especially as we got close to the verdict. Uh, so I couldn't tell you on the ground what it looks like right now, but I, I, I could say that I, I think it's pretty obvious that there is a concern of the possibility of unrest. And so uh, certainly the city and police department are prepared for that possibility. 
Um, and then even in urban centers around the country, that that may be the case from L.A. to New York and Chicago, other cities where uh, there might be uh, dissatisfaction with uh, the, the sentence that comes down. And what's the response to that? It's certainly on the minds of people. And this is going to come down to the judge. And I, th I think it's important to understand that it's unlikely that he's going to get that 40 year maximum um, and that the answer lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, and but the judge is indicating, as he agreed with the prosecution, that perhaps he does warrant a sentence bigger than 10 to 15 years. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, absolutely. Take care. ABC's Mark Remillard. I know I was reading in the New York Post last night that uh, the NYPD said it didn't anticipate any problems, but just in case it would have an excess of officers. And what I think is interesting about this is in New York, when the Derek Chauvin um, conviction was announced, you had droves of New Yorkers marching across the city, but they were celebrating. And um, it wasn't necessarily that you had looting or rioting like you did after George Floyd's death that they were worried about, but it was just more that they had these just crowds and crowds of people going across the country. So they had the cop or the going across the country, but specifically in New York, they had the cops there who were just making sure we're just going to make sure that nothing gets out of hand, that all these celebrations stay peaceful. And you know, you can be loud and cheer and holler and scream all you want. Just let's just keep it at that. And so that might be more of what we see today. All right, when we come back, I've got a really cool story about a young man in Glendora. He's a teenager, and he started walking around his neighborhood in Glendora, and he saw something on the ground. And he said, you know what? What's that on the ground for? That could help people. So I'll explain what his name is, Mahir Anand, and we're going to find out what he saw on the ground why he thought it could help people, and how it is helping people now. All about his activism coming up in just a second. KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. News This Morning is brought to you by American Vision Windows. Welcome to the weekend. I'm Jennifer Jones-Lee, and the stories we're watching in the KFI 24-hour newsroom. Officials now say four people have been killed and 159 others are missing in the partially collapsed condo tower in South Florida. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava says emergency crews have been working through the night to find survivors in the rubble. They are hearing sounds in the rubble, which could be a sign that there are survivors there. So they're going to keep working on that. And at 11.30 our time this morning, former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is expected to be sentenced in the murder of George Floyd. We will also be keeping an eye on that story. Well, right now I want to switch gears and talk about something very positive. He's a teenager in Glendora who was walking around the streets of his neighborhood and saw something on the ground and thought, you know... I think I could do something with that and turn what's on the ground into something amazing for people. And he did just that. So I want to talk to Mahir Anand. He joins us now on Wake Up Call. Mahir, good morning. Good morning, Jennifer. So can we start with how old you are first off? <laughs> I'm 18, just turned 18. You are 18, but you were 14, right? When you got this idea, when you were just walking around your neighborhood in Glendora. 
Yes, I was a, a freshman at Glendora High School. All right, so you're cruising around your neighborhood. What did you see that made you think, hey, wait a minute, that could do a lot more than than just lay there on the ground? Yeah, so, you know, um, just like many of us, I would be walking around the neighborhood with my parents or some friends, um, and we'd always see these uh, yards or city parks full of these citrus trees or any type of fruit trees, um, and all this fruit is just rotting on the ground, and we always thought, you know, we could use it or somebody else could use it definitely and it should be put to good use um so we just started fruitfully yours as a small initiative at the time um to rescue this um fruit uh, but now it's grown to much more than that it's, it's really amazing okay so you're 14 years old and you go to your mom and you say hey mom i've got this idea i want to go pick up fruit that i see in people's yards and i want to do something with it what was her response she was actually um, extremely encouraging, and um, she's been alongside me at this entire journey for the last four years. Um, and she's like one of my biggest cheerleaders. Yeah. So um, that was not an issue getting it, uh, getting the support. Yeah. Okay. So when you okay, so how did it go though from just the idea of a freshman in high school to a whole organization? Yeah, so um, initially to jumpstart the organization, um, we reached out to the mayor of Glendora and the local organizations here, um, and they really um, spread the word initially about our service uh, on social media and word of mouth. Um, and since then, we've really just grown organically through word of mouth and social media. Um, we like to say our fruit donors, the ones we pick from, are our biggest champions of our work, and they're the ones that are super passionate um, and um, help us grow in the neighboring cities. Well, and anybody who, I, I actually just moved from Glendora less than a year ago, and I had one of those old vintage, you know, orange trees in my backyard, but my neighbors, man, they would have five, six, seven of them in their yards, and they would just, they were so overgrown with oranges, the trees would actually sort of bend at certain points in the year. Yes, and, and actually we learned about this um, later on, but if you're actually picking this fruit, it's actually very helpful for the tree to grow um, because they're actually under a lot of stress and burden from all that fruit weighing them down. Oh, that absolutely makes sense. But you're right. I mean, citrus seems so plentiful in Glendora, but I, I hope that people who are listening this morning are thinking, you know, I've got these crazy avocado trees in my backyard, or I've got these crazy lemon trees or something like that. Because as we all know, you know, you can get a tree to grow just about anything in California. But a lot of times we have these trees in our backyard and we don't think about all the good that it can be doing, all we're doing maybe sometimes is just giving our neighbors bags of lemons or bags of avocados, whatever, just to sort of, quote, get rid of them. But you could be doing a lot of good with whatever's there. Yes, yes, definitely. When it comes to Fruitfully Yours specifically, who does your fruit go to? Um, so we have a amazing partnership um, with Shepherd's Pantry, which is a food bank here in Glendora. And so um, all of our fruit um, the last couple of years has been going there. Um, and so essentially they give us crates um, and they give us like their key um, through a partnership that we have with them. And so we go there and drop off the fruit. And then whenever it's convenient for them, they distribute it to the food insecure. Um, so it's like an amazing uh, partnership we've struck. And, you know, we encourage anyone who wants to start a similar chapter anywhere in California to start there by uh, making a partnership with a local food bank because that's really going to help it keep low cost and um, efficient. What? So I mentioned the oranges that, you know, if you just drive through Glendora, you see the trees everywhere. What other uh, types of fruits are you getting from people? 
Oh, we get lots. Um, lemons, kumquats, figs, pomegranates, avocados, uh, apples. <laughs> list is endless. Wow. So what I was saying, you can grow just about anything. I kind of nailed it. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> okay, what what can we do to help you? What can people say even in the area, in Glendora or Azusa or St. Dimas, anybody listening right there in that area, what can they do to help? Um, they can uh, really follow us and support our work. Uh, we don't plan to expand in the neighboring cities that much. We just want to keep it to Laverne, St. Dimas, Covina, Azusa, Glendora. But we do encourage other passionate fruit lovers like us to start their own chapter in their area if it's too far off. Um, or just support us online and our social media on Facebook and Instagram at FruitfulYoursNP. Um, and you can get all our details on our website as well, which is um, www.fruitfulyours.org. Okay, so you now, I just want to know about you. You're 18 years old, and at 14 you made such a difference already. What are your plans? Um, I am heading off to college from here, so I'll be attending Stanford University of this fall. Of course fall. you are. I knew it. I knew it. I thought somebody like you cannot be that innovative at the age of 14 and not be going crazy amazing places. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is, what are you studying? Computer science. Oh my, you are, go okay. So when you run for president, don't forget that you are on wake up call. Remember all us little people. <laughs> No, no. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Mahir, um, thank you, and thank you for what you're doing in your community. And uh, I just think you're an inspiration. So I appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Thank All right, you thanks. very much. Good luck. See you later. All right. So again, his name is Mahir Anand. Vote for him when he runs for president because what were you doing at 14? I was not. Let's see, what was I doing at 14? Um, I was a cheerleader. Um, I was chasing uh, boys at high school. Uh, let's see. I was actively involved in chasing boys in high school. Yeah, that's what I did at 14. He is making a difference in his community. And all he did was open his eyes and say, hey, there's fruit on the ground. It doesn't have to be. It could go to help people. Mm, I love people like this. So Mahir Anand, best of luck to you. Off to Stanford you go. And thanks for making a difference in your Glendora community. That's huge. I hope that, uh, you know, anybody listening right now, hey, maybe you've got a kid. And you're thinking, you know, I want to give my kid some direction. Have them listen to the podcast, A Wake Up Call. Have them listen to, you know, what a, what a difference somebody can make just by getting an idea of something that's right there in front of them. Amazing. All right, let's get back to some of these stories coming out of the KFI 24-hour newsroom. Well, the man in San Diego who supplied the tortillas that were thrown at a mostly Hispanic basketball team during a championship game claims it wasn't meant to be racist the San Diego Tribune says the man is a former student at the mostly white Coronado High School. He says throwing the tortillas to celebrate a win was a tradition at University of California in Santa Barbara, where he attended. Is that true? Somebody hit me up on Twitter. Do you do did you go to UC Santa Barbara? Do you throw tortillas there? 
And then you, all right, even if that is the case, why would you think that that is, you've got, even if, even if that was the case, that you did do that in celebration at a game, you have to realize your actions are so scrutinized these days. We are in such kind of a raw time in society. I feel like you have to kind of overthink everything that you're doing. And even if you think it's harmless, even if you think, oh, what are you talking about? That wasn't racist. That wasn't meant to be racist. You have to think, might this construe some sort of racism? Might this be taken wrong? And I can tell you that right now, people are, people are, um, not going to necessarily say that they're watching for it, but you've got, it, times are touchy right now, and you just can't, do you want to do something that you think might hurt somebody? I don't think any of us wants to do something. So does it hurt to just take a step back and think about what you're doing before you do it? Why is that a problem? Why is that a bad thing? Well, the long-awaited government report on unexplained aerial phenomena is expected to be sent to Congress today. Retired Navy Lieutenant Commander Alex Dietrich, a veteran combat pilot, says she spotted a UAP in 2004 near San Diego. As a military officer, we're always conditioned to think friend or foe. There is a concern about national security, something in our immediate vicinity when we were conducting military exercises. U.S. intelligence agencies reportedly haven't reached a definitive explanation for the military's encounters with UAPs. I kind of hope they find something. I kind of do. Don't you? All right, when we come back, we are going to talk Nike. Whoever's doing Nike's marketing is doing something right because their quarterly earnings were crazy. And remember Michael Avenatti, the attorney who was convicted of extorting or extortion involving Nike? He was supposed to be sentenced yesterday, but that's been postponed, so we'll find out why. And what did you make at your first job? So your first high school job. So, I don't know, you're 16, 17, you go to get a job, and maybe you went to a fast food chain or a restaurant, something like that. I remember I was making $3.65 an hour. It was student wages back in the day at La Comida Mexican Food in Redding. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's a place in Texas that is so desperate for workers that they are willing to pay tens of thousands of dollars to high schoolers just to come and work for them. I'll tell you where. It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Tyler is uh, training on the board this morning. Alex. Uh, yeah. Tyler. Um. <clears throat> Not really a fan of Taylor Swift. Oh, you're going to love Taylor Swift. <laughs> Note to self, Tyler can't fill in for John anymore on Wake Up Call. I'm kidding. It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Jennifer Jones-Lee and some of the stories we're watching in the KFI 24-hour newsroom. We just learned a little bit earlier this hour Four people were killed and 159 others are still missing in that partially collapsed condo tower in South Florida. Now, they are still working. They're hearing some sounds in the rubble, and the the search crews are actually having to tunnel 
under all of the rubble to get to where those sounds are coming from. So the hope is that there are still survivors in there. And, uh, of course, they're not going to let that hope go anytime soon. So if, let's, you know, fingers crossed, hope, pray, whatever you got to do, but let's send some good vibes that way that some of those sounds are, in fact, coming from survivors. And then at 1130 our time this morning, former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is set to be sentenced in the murder of George Floyd. We'll keep an eye on that for you as well. It's time for Biz Bites. Bites of business. Biz Bites. On Wake Up Call with Jennifer Jones-Lee. Nike. Wow. I don't know who your marketing people are, but uh, you just made a whole lot of money. You should give them a raise. Nike posted record quarterly sales, topping $12 billion for the first time in history. Revenue in May ended the quarter nearly doubled what it was this time last year. Last year was $6.31 billion. This year, $12.34 billion. And, you know, it was interesting because during the pandemic, you had sports that were halted. Nike temporarily shut down a ton of its retail stores. It continued to pay its workers. And what it did was it doubled down on its digital sales while consumers were at home. And apparently that worked. Now, speaking of Nike, you've got high profile attorney Michael Avenatti, who was supposed to be sentenced in his extortion case against Nike. But for the seventh time. He is his sentencing has been postponed. It had been delayed six times before because of COVID-19. Now, this time around, prosecutors said they did not find Michael Avenatti's seventh request to delay sentencing a charm, saying again that he should be forced to hear his punishment next week for extorting Nike up to 25 million. But now he won't hear his uh, sentencing until July 9th. And that's not the only thing. He's still got cases in L.A. and New York, in Manhattan, the trial scheduled for January, where a jury will decide whether he cheated his former client, porn star Stormy Daniels, out of hundreds of thousands of dollars for a book deal that she signed. And finally, um, I don't know what you got paid at your first job, but there's a Texas fast food chain that says it is in such need of workers right now. It's offering teenagers salaries of $50,000 in some cases. The thing is called uh, Lane's Chicken Fingers, the chain is. And it's got an opportunity for 16, 17-year-olds to make $50,000 to offset their worker shortages. And I, I like, though, the CEO's idea behind this. He says, we teach them the ropes of business, how to put on an apron, how to put on a hat, how to cook toast, And yes, we have quite a few young people in our organization that have moved up into those higher wage brackets now. Now, the managers, they obviously, you would have to start from the bottom and become one of these teen managers at $50,000, but you're 16, 17 years old and you're making that? He said he wants to teach the kids maybe how to ultimately become a general manager, but if nothing, if nothing else, he says it teaches them the values and the culture and the work ethic and the drive, and it just shows you what potential there is. Lane's Chicken Finger, by the way, apparently has not been stopped at all by the pandemic. It plans to open 100 new stores across Texas. But um, I like his model. You know, maybe get the kids in there early, and maybe all they care about at that point is the money. But then they start to learn work ethic, and they start to learn what potential is, and they start to see what, you know, hard work can get you. And maybe if they're working there while they, after they graduate and go to college and, you know, they kind of combine then their education with their work ethic, that's kind of a win-win. This is KFI and KOSTHD2 Los Angeles. 
We lead local. Live from the KFI 24-hour newsroom, I'm Jennifer Jones-Lee. This has been your Friday wake-up call. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.